This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We are learning more tonight about the victim of a homicide in West Vancouver. It happened in an apartment parkade early yesterday evening, leaving residents of the normally quiet community in shock. Our Krista Dow is live with more on what we know about the man who was killed. Krista. Uh, Sophie, all day we have seen police officers come in and out of this very quiet West Vancouver complex and neighbors telling us they're on edge after learning about what happened and who the victim was. More than 24 hours later, police tape still surrounds this quiet West Vancouver condo complex along Argyle Street. On Tuesday, just before 5 in the afternoon, police arrived to find a man stabbed inside the parking garage after an altercation with an unknown man. The man succumbed to his injuries. I saw this person lying there, uh, bleeding away. And um, a minute or second later, uh, there were three policemen. I just saw it. he had a T-shirt on and the blood was all over Sources tell Global News the victim is Dr. Francis Amir Este, a former urologist who practiced in Port Coquitlam, but is listed by the college as no longer practicing. Records confirm he owned a unit in the building with his mother. It's believed she lived there. Este and his mother were involved in a high-profile real estate case in 2017. We spoke with a woman Wednesday who lives in a unit owned by Este in a neighboring building. Offer back for the mother. Trust me to cry. No mother should see that. No mother deserves to see that. But uh, what's happening? I don't know. I don't know nothing, but I know no mother should see that. Sophie, police believe this is an isolated incident and says there is no risk to the public. Meantime, the integrated homicide investigation team, which has taken over the case, has not indicated there are any suspects. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting in West Vancouver tonight. South Surrey MLA Eleanor Sturko knows all too well how fast a situation can become dangerous. Although she's no longer an RCMP officer, her instincts took over outside a White Rock coffee shop on Tuesday afternoon when a man suffering a mental health crisis brought out a knife. Imadagahi has more on what happened next. I was saying, hey, take it easy. You don't need to have a knife. You know, nobody is here to hurt you. At, like trying to de-escalate him, but he was past de-escalation, yeah. right? Surveillance video shows the moment a customer jumps into action kicking a knife away from a man who was suffering a mental health crisis. 
That customer just happened to be South Surrey MLA and ex-police officer Eleanor Sturko. In my previous career as a police officer, I've dealt with people with mental health issues and in crisis before. And, you know, based on what I saw, yeah, it was a threatening situation. It happened Tuesday afternoon at Laura's Coffee Corner in White Rock. After disarming the man, Sturko says police came to arrest him. His mother was also quick to arrive on scene. And I said to her, you know, the police are coming. And she said, you know what, good, because I can't get help for my son. I, I need help. I'm so glad that everything worked out. Yeah, honestly, I don't know how to thank you. The owner of the cafe says the situation was traumatic, one which forced her to lock down the building for a short time with customers inside. Quite shocked that someone was carrying a knife that large. Never seen like a knife, someone carrying a knife like that. It, it could have done a lot of damage. She says this and other recent incidents like it show even the quiet, sunny and serene community of White Rock is not immune to symptoms of the province-wide mental health crisis. Every week I'm locking it down or removing someone from the premises, right? I'm not a cop. I'm not a security guard. Like, I'm a coffee. I want to serve pastries. I don't want to have to deal with this extra stress. Amadagahi, Global News. The provincial government is turning up the pressure on the city of Vancouver to pick up the pace on housing projects. But as Richard Zussman reports, council is currently considering a report that would slow down the Broadway corridor redevelopment plan. It's a blast from Victoria to Vancouver City Hall. We are in a housing crisis and we need decisions made uh, like we are in a housing crisis. BC's Housing Minister Rami Kalon says the time for talk is over after the previous city council passed the Broadway plan last year and the new council now considering a pace of change report. I think the pace needs to be at the pace of the challenge that we have, which is fast. And if there's a developer or a not-for-profit that's ready to go, they should be able to start work to build that critical housing that we need uh, desperately. The report suggesting four options, limiting building to five projects a year impacting 1% of current rentals, a 15-project limit impacting 3%, a 30-project limit to impact 5%, or no change to the current plan, which would impact 10% of current rentals. We're uh, needing to address the balance between recognizing that there is existing affordable rental in this core planning area, um, and at the same time, it's our greatest opportunity to increase our rental uh, units and, and improve our vacancy rate. The plan aggressively densifies 500 city blocks in the heart of Vancouver and includes rental protections. But with the vacancy rate basically zero, there is still concern. We need to have some kind of mechanism to make sure that we're getting the tenant protections right and in place and we're not seeing a rush on purpose-built apartment building. With Vancouver now on notice, there could be more. Minister Callon says that the province will be tabling in the legislature a new housing plan and in it, eight to ten cities across the province will be named as places the province will be watching very closely to ensure they build the housing that's needed. Vitally important that before we even go there, that communities themselves take the actions that are needed. And there could be even more pressure on the city. If Conservative Pierre Polyevre becomes Prime Minister, he will strip municipalities of housing dollars if they don't build. No more excuses. We need to clear the red tape and build more houses. Council will consider the report next week, with upper levels of government now breathing down their neck. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
And let's bring in Keith Baldry now for a little bit more about federal politics. We uh, saw Pierre Poiliev and Richard's piece there. Mm -hmm. Keith, a new poll indicates the conservatives are failing to gain ground. Yeah, very interesting, considering all the controversies besetting the federal liberal government and all the statements from Pierre Poliev promising all sorts of new policies, you'd think those two together would see the Conservatives soaring in the polls and the Liberals faltering. Not according to Abacus data, a poll released today, which follows a series of similar polls. Their poll showing a statistical tie, basically, between the top two parties. The Conservatives ahead by two points, but a drop of four points uh, from a month ago, from a similar poll a month ago, and a gain by the Liberals of two points. Again, it's a snapshot, but it's got to be concerning for the Conservatives. You break it down nationally, it gets very interesting. Again, the Conservatives have a lock on the West. Very strong numbers in B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. But the Liberals lead in Quebec and Atlantic, and the Liberals in the B.C., the Conservatives, are effectively tied in Ontario. Couple this with some other polls I reported on last week, notably Angus Reid. The Conservatives are trailing in metro urban areas in Metro Vancouver, Metro Toronto, and Montreal, as well as the rest of Quebec. Well, guess what? That's where most of the ridings are. If you can't, if a party cannot win those ridings, it's not going to form government, even a minority government. So, despite them being ahead of the Liberals nationally, you break it down regionally. Not good news for Pierre Poliev and the Conservatives. You have to wonder what they've got to do to uh, lengthen the gap between them and the Liberals, because right now what they're doing simply isn't working. All right, thanks for that, Keith. People in East Vancouver are wondering why several tents in a park on the city's west side were cleared out so quickly when parks in their neighborhoods were left to languish for months when encampments moved in. But as Kristen Robinson reports, the park board says tonight it's not a matter of a city divide, but of who's now in charge. Six days after a resident shared concerns on social media about a couple of tents in Vanier Park on Vancouver's west side, the park board began taking action to clear the small camp. It didn't surprise me. Eastside residents endured a tent city in Strathcona Park for 10 months. Before that, an entrenched encampment at Oppenheimer Park lasted 18 months, while the western edge of Crab Park's waterfront has been home to dozens of tents for almost two years. We feel a difference in treatment between the west side and the east side. Um, it feels like as an east side resident, we need to advocate, we need to be on top of what our basic rights are. I don't see an east-west divide. The park board says it first became aware of people living in Vanier Park last October and advised them tents must be taken down by 8 a.m. after overnight sheltering. In the months since, rangers have offered housing or outreach multiple times. When propane tanks were recently noticed, residents were asked to remove their belongings so the site could be cleared due to safety concerns. Oppenheimer, Strathcona, Crab Park, uh, those all predate our, our term. And so we're going to be working towards ensuring that, uh, you know, that those situations don't occur anywhere else within our city. As new permanent encampments pop up, Scott Jensen says bylaws will be enforced, save for Crab Park where a court injunction prevents the arbitrary removal of structures. Ilana Zusblatt believes we have the capacity to solve poverty, addiction and mental illness, but wonders if there's political will. There must be money to be made by keeping the status quo because it's just inexcusable, irresponsible and downright embarrassing. It's also heartbreaking. Meantime, she's not alone in noticing a difference. On the left, overflowing garbage bins and closed tennis courts at Strathcona. On the right, Kitts Beach.
east side parks are very heavily used and we have a higher population relative to the amount of parks we have relative to the west side. So 100% east side parks could use a lot more attention. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, the footage is shocking, but not surprising to many residents of Nanaimo. A car deliberately set on fire just meters from an auto shop. It's once again fueling debate over public safety in the city. But as Kylie Stanton reports, it's unlikely to lead to any immediate change. A window was smashed and moments later, the vehicle catches fire. Another day, another crime in the city of Nanaimo. Add it to the pile of of incidents. It just looked like he was doing this as a, a hobby or for fun. The cameras here at Pure Gold Automotive captured the arson that took place just before five o'clock Monday morning. And it's not the first time the business has been hit. The co-owner, Sabrina Murphy, did not want to speak on camera, but told Global News it's getting out of hand. It's ridiculous and it could have been a lot worse. Police are now investigating. We don't believe, based on the evidence to hand, that this is a marginalized person. This is this car or this, this lot or this business was targeted for some reason as to why we don't know. They made their way across the street with weapons being pointed at them. The incident comes on the heels of a brazen shooting that left Clint Smith fighting for his life after he tried to retrieve stolen property from a homeless encampment. Last week, residents rallied to voice their concerns. Enough is enough! Then took them directly to mayor and council. What we really want is actually this to change. People in Nanaimo, British Columbians in general, are tired of the street disorder. They want the problem solved. They're sick of the crime. They're sick of open drug use. They want this solved. But the mayor is the first to admit. There's not a lot more the municipality, the city can do in and of itself. And that means the pressure now falls to higher levels of government. In a statement, BC's Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth said, I will be visiting Nanaimo soon to discuss issues of public safety and crime, including immediate and sustaining solutions to help keep people and businesses in Nanaimo safe. But in the meantime, residents are being advised to protect their homes and businesses by taking as many precautions as possible, which includes everything from labeling property to installing surveillance cameras like this one. This is not fair for a civil society to, uh, to be expected to deal with uh, constantly. We need it to stop. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And North Vancouver RCMP are going public in the hopes of flushing out a suspect in a pair of bizarre arsons. Police released this composite sketch of a man seen leaving a porta potty in the 2100 block of Hamilton Avenue on March 13th, just before it was set on fire. Another porta potty was set on fire on Jones Avenue on Monday. The suspect is described as Caucasian, 5 foot 9, weighing between 180 and 220 pounds. He was wearing a tan jacket and had a red backpack. A Burnaby businessman is out thousands of dollars after last fall's civic election. It's sad that a political party is going to just walk away and, and, and not pay small businesses like myself. How much Kennedy Stewart's campaign still owes him and the surprising plan to pay it back next on the news hour. It's not exactly a subtle theft. RCMP are seeking the public's help to find this massive piece of equipment stolen from a construction site. Still to come tonight on the News Hour. Plus, the return of Zellers and how it's bringing back a taste of nostalgia for shoppers. That's still to come. 
Right now, though, Vancouver's civic election was months ago, but it seems one political party has failed to pay some of its bills. A Burnaby-based small business owner says former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart's Forward Together campaign still owes him thousands of dollars. And Drua joins us with more. And thanks, Sophie. Tim Melito, who owns Town Rent in Burnaby, says he's worked with many political parties in the past for elections, but in his 13 years, he's never been treated quite like this. Instead of receiving the money he's owed, he says the Kennedy Stewart campaign has left him with nothing but excuses. So we rented them some desks, chairs, folding tables. When Tim Melito of Town Rent was contacted to supply office furniture to former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart's campaign during last year's civic election, he says he was thrilled. Welcome news for a small Burnaby business owner who says he had been struggling during the height of the pandemic. Trade shows, conferences all ended, so we kind of had to downsize our business and, uh, and compact it a little bit. Last summer, Melito says he delivered the rental furniture to Stewart's campaign headquarters in Vancouver. And after Kennedy Stewart lost the mayoral race to Ken Sim in October, Melito says he sent Stewart's campaign an invoice of just under $3,000. They said they would uh, get, promise to have a check for us uh, within 30 days. But Melito says the 30 days came and went. He says he tried to be understanding, even giving the Kennedy Stewart team a 30-day extension. Well, I'm thinking, you know, maybe they're just uh, so they're backed up on paperwork. Maybe they've got their accounting. They need to just kind of reconcile things, and things take a little bit longer. Still, the invoice remained unpaid, and Melito says the excuses kept coming, with Stewart's campaign manager telling him they were still sorting out their finances. But then this past February, there was this. A proposal by Ford Together to make three payments in 2023 amounting to 10% of the total for the outstanding invoices for work pre-October 15, 2022, and an offer to schedule a meeting to revisit the payment plan for 2024. To come up with a minuscule amount over the course of a, almost over a year is uh, is odd. Consumer Matters reached out to the former mayor's campaign manager, Neil Moncton, through email, text, and even placed a call, wanting to know why Tim wasn't paid and why Ford Together appears to be taking donations on its website. Hi, it's Neil. I'm not available, so please leave your message and I'll try and call you back. We never received a response back. We also reached out to former Mayor Kennedy Stewart, but didn't hear back either. It's sad that a political party is going to just walk away and, and, and not pay small businesses like myself. According to an Elections BC campaign financing summary, Ford together with Kennedy Stewart reported just over $618,000 in income and over a million dollars in expenses in the last civic election. Given those numbers, Tim says, he's doubtful he'll ever get paid in full. And Tim says the money should have come long ago, and he's trying to put this unfortunate experience behind him. He says he's looking forward to the next job. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Andrew, reporting tonight. Meanwhile, Kennedy Stewart has been awarded more than $100,000 to pay for his defense in an unsuccessful libel suit. Members of the Nonpartisan Association Board sued Stewart after he issued a news release in 2021 denouncing hate and extremism in the NPA. The case was dismissed with the judge finding this week it was a so-called slap lawsuit meant to intimidate or silence opponents. 
She ordered the NPA to cover more than $100,000 in legal fees, but declined to award Stewart any other damages. Up next, the silent disease. It's scary. It's really scary no matter what age you are. The cancer that takes too many lives and the simple test that could help change that. Plus details on a new long-term care home coming to Vancouver next. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. And good news, just cleared a crash further south of the 91 and Highway 99 interchange. Through Kermat Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermat, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermat Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A cancer survivor is speaking out, raising awareness of the threat posed by colon cancer. More than 3,300 British, British Columbians will be diagnosed with the disease this year, and it's the second leading cause of cancer-related death after lung cancer. As Sarah McDonald reports, the disease will alter the lives of one in six British Columbians. Jaylee Thomas's journey with cancer began in 2013, just as she and her husband were about to start a family. About a month before my 33rd birthday, I found out uh, I had colon cancer through a pregnancy, actually. It was wild, to say the least, shocking. Along with the diagnosis of stage 3 colon cancer, Thomas's doctor delivered more devastating news, just as treatment was set to begin. And so he kind of sat me down, stating that I should... Uh, probably consider terminating the pregnancy um, and of course I did you know discussing it with my husband. Ten years later Thomas still has a photo yeah, of the tumor. I mean, it honestly looks like an alien growing inside of me. That had likely been growing inside of her for years before it was found. Even looking back now with this pulled out perspective I still don't like nothing stands out other than you know, I had gas, but, you know, how do I know that's anything different? I, I didn't see any blood in my stool. Blood's never normal in the stool. That should always, you know, be evaluated by a healthcare provider. Someone has a, you know, persistent change in their bowel habits, persistent abdominal pain. Those could all be symptoms of colon or rectal cancer. With no family history or obvious symptoms, Thomas joins a growing demographic of young adults. Diagnosed with a type of cancer that's generally only screened for in those over 50. She says that needs to change. Every single person I know with colon cancer is under 40 that I met. So you can't tell me that it's an old person's disease or issue. A decade on from her own diagnosis, Thomas is now teaching others the importance of whole body health through Pilates and a form of light therapy, which helped her through the side effects of chemo. I had pins and needles in my hands and feet like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it was really hard really painful. After gaining a greater awareness of her own physical and mental health on her path to healing, Thomas has a message for others. Fight for yourself. Like if your doctor says, oh, you don't need that, 
they don't know what you need because they're not you. With an increasing number of young adults living with a cancer that is largely survivable, if caught early. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A doctor can order a simple take-home test to screen for colon cancer. The FIT test should be done every two years after the age of 50 or earlier if you have family history. Some of the symptoms to watch for include blood in the stool, diarrhea or constipation, persistent abdominal pain and anemia. Vancouver will be getting a new long-term care home with additional services for seniors. Health Minister Adrian Dix made the announcement this morning. The new St. Vincent's Heather Care Home will be built by Providence Healthcare and will have 240 beds. Those spaces will replace current beds at aging Providence facilities, adding a net total of 15 new beds. The plan for the new care home features some suites with connecting doors to allow couples and families to stay together. Dick says the government will be looking to build these new models of care homes across the province. Construction is set to start in the fall of 2025 with completion by fall of 2028. This kind of living structure, the, co the common eating, the common spaces, the, the more, in this case, apartment-like feel, home-like feel uh, to the residents is very important. Just ahead, putting an end to forever chemicals. We know of stories related to cancer, different types of cancers, thyroid problems. The potential health risks and the UBC breakthrough that could get rid of them. Plus, not your typical vehicle theft. Up next, how the thief got away with this huge piece of construction equipment. Traffic is moving well in both directions at the Massey Tunnel tonight. Keep in mind, though, there is overnight construction south of the tunnel on Highway 99 towards Ladner Trunk Road. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global Massey Tunnel. A pricey piece of construction equipment has been stolen from a Kelowna con... Take a look. This massive orange SkyTrack telehandler was stolen Sunday night just after 9 o'clock from a job site in the 2100 block of Optic Court. Police say the thief was caught on video breaking into the construction site and loading the machine onto a semi-truck and flat deck which was parked nearby. Anyone with dash cam footage in the area is being asked to come forward. The value of the equipment is around $80,000. Well, more than a year after floods devastated the community of Princeton, more progress toward recovery today. The provincial government has announced more than 20 temporary homes will soon open up for seniors who were displaced by the flooding. The province will also be building a fire hall, training center and emergency operations center for the community. After disaster, particularly with housing, people want to be in community as best they can. And in rural communities across the province, it's, it's hard uh, to find opportunities to get them into homes that work for them, uh, temporary accommodation. By putting a facility up here, it gives us continuity during major events. Um, it gets us out of floodplain. Uh, as you can see around us, it's a, it's a position that is going to be pretty resilient to, to wildfires. So. It'll give us a really good um, operational control area that we can work out of. Residents are expected to start moving into the new homes on May 1st. 
Scientists at UBC say they have made a life-changing breakthrough that can effectively eliminate dangerous substances called forever chemicals, which are in thousands of products we use every day. Julie Nolan reports. Exciting research to emerge on this World Water Day. Toxic chemicals remain present in our drinking water, coming from chemicals called polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS. This UBC research is about eliminating this risk to our well-being. We know of stories related to cancer, different types of cancers, thyroid problems, uh, birth defects, and so on. Foam for firefighting can contain these dangerous chemicals, but these substances are also in nearly everything around us, from cosmetics to cleaning products, as well as making some items non-stick or stain resistant. They are so great uh, as a product for our daily lives, but because of their nature and their strong uh, resistance to degradation, they last almost forever in, in the natural environment. Even though a so-called better form of PFAS was regulated into use in the U.S. by 2015, it's still a forever chemical with harmful effects even in landfills. But they are equally as toxic. So those materials, if they are in our water, activated carbon cannot remove. That's why this research at UBC is encouraging. It's being compared to a Brita water filter, only a thousand times better. These scientists came up with a unique absorbing material, which could change the way water filtration is done across North America and less expensive than current technology. The worst places in Canada for high levels of PFAS are Ontario and Quebec, but BC is less problematic because of increased access to fresh water. The, the level is well below detection, which is about 0.2 nanograms per liter. We're in good shape. We're well below the the current guidelines. With a range of applications, the UBC team will pilot the new technology across BC starting this month. It's not unique to one community, it's not unique to one country. Many countries in the world, they have yet to actually look into that problem. Julie Nolan, Global News. The strain on BC's search and rescue has eased since the peak of the pandemic, but how much relief are teams really getting? A look at the number of calls still coming in and tips on staying safe. Plus, the return of the Zed, the highly anticipated comeback of Zellers, where it's opening tomorrow. Global BC is proud to partner with the 2023 BC Winter Games. Join Global News March 23rd to 26th for daily coverage from Vernon. The 2023 BC Winter Games, in partnership with Global BC. stories to touch us all to the events happening all around us when bc needs to connect bc turns to the source that brings us together global news connect search and rescue crews were a little less busy last year than they were at the height of the pandemic crews were called 1500 times to pull people out of the backcountry last year that's in line with pre-pandemic levels and down from the 2100 calls they faced in 2021. But the long-term trend still shows an increasing number of rescue calls, with the number of rescues projected to reach 3,000 by the year 2046. There are 78 volunteer SAR groups in BC. They say simple measures like telling family and friends where you're going can reduce the risk of needing a rescue. And today was a day to get outside for sure, Christy, but maybe not so much the next few days. 
No, not tomorrow especially. It's going to be much cooler compared to what we saw today. I had so many people share photos just like this. This is from Kamloops. Michelle, thank you so much. I've got another one at the end of this segment. And if you want more and if you sent me a photo and I'm not posting it here on our show, check out our Instagram account. I'm going to put them all on there. Uh, but uh, temperatures soared. So we were at 16 degrees in Kamloops today, 17 in Asuyu's. Look at Merritt, 17 also. Vancouver hit 12 degrees, but that was at the airport areas away from the water like Agassiz reached 17, 18 degrees. So it was nice and warm, that's for sure. Uh, much cooler tomorrow. We've got showers already starting to push in across Vancouver Island. Those will shift into our region as we continue through the latter part of the day today and certainly overnight we'll see that and through the day tomorrow. We still have significant dust advisories. In fact, two more today. It includes Quinell and the Prince George region as well as Elk Valley. So there's so much dust out there and although we're going to see rain across the coastal regions, there's not going to be very much that will shift into the interior. So I'm not expecting a ton of improvement in terms of those dust advisories for those of you in the interior, not at least in the next 24 hours. So here's the moisture that's going to shift in. We'll see periods of rain tomorrow along with windy conditions, especially through the Strait of Georgia. So near the water from Metro Vancouver. For those of you in the interior, some showers along the mountains, but as you can see, very little amounts expected in through the interior, southern and central interior areas. So here's your forecast for your Thursday, everyone. We'll see some cloud cover shift in across the region, but the bulk of the moisture will be along the coast. We still have a chance of showers from Kelowna south through Asuyus, but that's about it. The bulk of them will be along the mountain ranges. A high of only 8 degrees across Vancouver Island, 9 for our region. Typical for this time of year is 11, so that's going to feel chilly compared to especially the 16, 17 degrees we saw away from the water uh, today. There's a look at the trend, though. As we head into the weekend, we've got lots of sunshine on the way, but not a big warm-up, it looks like, until potentially next week, but at least some bright spots on the way, that's for sure. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window. Yet another beautiful blue sky image. This one from Manning Park. Thank you to Pratam for sharing that with us. Sophie, back to you. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Zellers has been teasing its return and the comeback is finally happening, at least in Alberta. The famous Canadian retailer is returning with a smaller footprint this time. It'll be inside select Hudson's Bay stores starting tomorrow. When the company announced the stores were setting up shop again, Canadians wanted to know, what about the diner and the skillet? Well, Zeller said they listened, and tomorrow the food trucks will be there for opening day as well, offering up five favourites that Canadians chose from the menu, including the Big Z Burger and those famous fries and gravy. A retail expert says it's smart to tap into a bit of nostalgia. I was hoping that Zeddy would be coming back, but I actually don't. I'm not, I'm not totally certain that he will be coming back. Um, but I do think Zellers is going to play on as many of the kind of warm and fuzzy feelings that we have, a lot of us from our from either our childhood or from when we were younger. In addition to the Zellers in Calgary opening tomorrow, Toronto also gets one too. Not sure what is happening with the BC locations. Uh, also, Squire and I don't remember the Big Z Burger. I don't remember any. I don't remember eating Zellers. at Zellers. I don't remember Zellers having food. No, neither do I. Is it just I. me? I don't know. No, I don't remember either. But you know who did have good, well, remember Woodward's? Yes. They had the great chocolate malts. And the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Groceries at Woodward's. I know, but they had the great chocolate malts. Anyway, well now I would like a big Z burger, fries, gravy, and a malt. A Woodward's. Woodward's. If only we could turn back the hands of time. True. Anyway, yeah. um, the Vancouver Whitecaps are going to talk about them. Of course, they haven't won a 
regular season game so far this year. One of the reasons is they haven't scored enough goals. And now the guy they brought in, Sergio Cordova, to score goals is hurt. So we'll talk about what they have to do to change all of that. Also tonight. How about one more final salute? A well-deserved retirement for a rodeo superstar. Trying to remember who all had store, a diner, dining rooms. When I was a little, little, little kid, littler than I am now, um, Woolworths at Middlegate had a little sit-down place to have lunch or whatever. But apparently, the Penticton or the Zellers in Penticton had a dining room or a diner. So that I don't know if the one in Vancouver had. I don't one, recall but. that. But there's a lot of people out there of similar vintage who will know the Woodward chocolate malts. Believe me, they were incredible. And now we're all incredible. craving one. Well, I am. Um, anyway, you didn't know they would happen. Did you have one when you were a kid? At, at Woodward's? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we did our grocery shopping. Okay, then, so. you might have had one then. Okay. Anyway, it seems appropriate that a man named White is needed by the Whitecaps. But Brian White, along with some others, is going to have to start scoring goals because the guy Vancouver brought in, Sergio Cordova, to lead the goal parade is hurt for almost... Well, it could be even as much as two months. So it's up to some others to become the alpha strikers for Vancouver with a game coming up Saturday in Minnesota. The Caps, of course, are winless in the regular season because they haven't scored enough goals when they've been given good chances. The Whitecaps are getting ready for life without their big off-season signing for the next couple of months. Sergio Cordova will miss six to eight weeks with a hamstring injury that he picked up against the LA Galaxy. Of course, Sergio is a very important player and missing him is... Uh, is kind of a bummer, but, uh, you know, uh, the other guys, the, we have other options that can play in that position. Brian, Dajo, Simon Becher. Of the group, Brian White has been the Whitecaps' most reliable striker this season, scoring two goals in two games against Real Espana to help Vancouver advance in the CONCACAF Champions League. But he's yet to record a goal in four MLS matches. Because maybe he doesn't touch the ball too much, but with all the run that he does, and he frees the space for the tens and the eights underneath him in order to to get the ball, all the link-up play that he does. So that's uh, it's very important for us. Unfortunately, no one is capitalizing on the open play chances created by Vancouver. Of the four Whitecaps goals this season, only Alessandro Schaff has scored in open play. The other three have come from set pieces scored by defenders Javane Brown and Tristan Blackman, and Paul Ariola of FC Dallas. So could Simon Betcher be the one to solve the squad's scoring woes? Uh, Simon Betcher is a little Pippo Inzaghi. He's a, he's a poacher. He's a guy that uh, probably in the box is our best player. He's the, guy, he's the guy who has more feeling with the goal, to be honest. The 23-year-old was selected 16th overall out of St. Louis University by the Whitecaps in 2022. He had a dream debut for the club last season, coming off the bench and scoring a late equalizer. He's followed that up with a great goal in the second leg against Real Espana. In limited time on the pitch, he's made the most of it, and it's a role he's embracing. It's going to be kind of a supplementary one, always being ready if there's opportunity. And, you know, whether it's this weekend, next weekend, or further down the road, for me, it's just staying in the mindset of being ready for opportunity. 
The opportunity might come this weekend on the road against Minnesota as the Caps aim to earn their first win of the MLS season. We didn't win games, but we're playing, we're playing well, especially in the last couple of weeks. So um, we, there's belief in the team, so I'm confident. Russia's national hockey teams, along with Belarus, will continue to be kept out of all world championships through 2024. They were first banned uh, last year following the invasion of Ukraine. The IIHF also says it will start to discuss whether Russia can be part of the Olympic hockey tournament in 2026, even though that's still a ways off. Uh, during the Canucks 4-3 loss to Vegas last night, Vitaly Kraftsoff was a little more noticeable. He actually had a chance to score in the second period. Now, since coming here from the Rangers, he's been basically wearing the invisibility cloak. Just one assist, no goals as the Canucks. Now, those were the kind of stats that got him traded from New York to Vancouver. The knock on him in New York was he couldn't score at an NHL level consistently enough and he couldn't check well enough to stay in the lineup. But Rick Tockett thinks Kravtsov is a diamond in the rough and not to be given up on that easily. Uh, he's got a lot of talent and um, he needs a form of he needs to utilize this four months. He's got to get a little bit bigger. I think he has to bring a little bit more energy and attitude. And I, he's got a great attitude. I shouldn't say that. It, more energy. And I think that's summer training for me. I think he, I think if he has four months of good summer training, he can be somebody that can really be a skilled guy that can, that can score. The Abbotsford Canucks are just starting their game in Bakersfield tonight. Abbey can clinch a playoff spot if they win this game. They'll also clinch if San Jose loses its game to Colorado. But really, it's just a matter of time before the baby Canucks are officially in the AHL postseason. Now, Abbotsford is third in the Pacific Division, but that's the toughest division in the American Hockey League because in the overall standings, Abbotsford is the seventh best team. Start of match play, and Nick Taylor of Abbotsford was up against Patrick Cantlay, and this is a great chip and approach on the 18th by Taylor. Unfortunately, he would not win this match because Cantley would make the putt on 18 to win it. Uh, Adam Hadwin and Adam Svensson also lost their first matches today, but they'll play again tomorrow. That's Cantley finishing off Nick Taylor. Shot of the day, there were a few good ones, but how about this one from J.J. Spawn? 13th, this is an eagle. How does he do it? With backspin. The thing every hacker loves or would love to be able to do. Can you do that? No. If I do it, it's by accident. <laughs> and I can't remember how I did it and never repeat it. Once in a while you do it, it's like, how did I do that? But you never remember. Okay. There you go. Uh, I should say, apparently the Zellers at Brentwood and Coquitlam Center had the restaurant and the Big Z was delicious. I don't remember that. What they did. But what happened to Randy River? Oh, Randy River. Remember and that? Canary Island. And Susie Cream Cheese. Up next, a story that's all bold. We'll just leave. Jordan Armstrong now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a bit of breaking news from Ottawa. Han Dong has just announced in the House of Commons he is leaving the Liberal caucus to sit as an independent. Now, this comes just hours after Global News reported new claims against the Ontario MP and his alleged push to delay the release 
of the two Michaels. Also tonight, it's been more than four months since Premier David Eby vowed to transform the downtown east side into a healthy and safe place. So how's that going? We'll have a progress report. You'll hear from the government. They'll tell us how many people have been housed. You'll also hear from small businesses and residents. Do they feel any safer? Ramina Dea will have that story at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks, Jordan. A Southern Alberta rodeo superstar is off to greener pastures. As Global's Eric Bade tells us, after a decorated career, Catch My Drift is now enjoying a well-deserved rest. How about one more final salute to the incredible Catch My Drift. PBR Canada fans in Southern Alberta paying their respects to Catch My Drift, making his final appearance out of the bucking chutes earlier this month. After a career including two World Finals appearances and the 2020 PBR Canada Bull of the Year honour, the bucking bull is now retired. I don't want to see him just, just riding him, you know. He, he doesn't deserve that, so we'll let him leave at a pretty high high point in his career. The bull was acquired at three years old by two-bit bucking bulls, which operates out of McGrath. Owner Josh Bursey remembers seeing a lot of potential in the young bucker. He was a bull. It took a little time to get going, but once he did, he really, he really found his ground. I believe uh, Aaron Roy got hung up to him at the PBR finals when he was a four or five-year-old, and it just changed him, you know, he all of a sudden started like, I'm going to win every time. I mean, this bull's, you know, he's throwing some power at him. And Catch My Drift did a lot of winning over his career. Just 22 riders managed to last the full eight seconds as he bucked off more than 60% of the cowboys that got on his back. He's one of the bigger bulls in the pen and, and one of the best ones going. Three of those rides went for scores of at least 90 points, including two by Zane Lambert, who recalls one battle that went right to the final buzzer. It was just fingertips. He was bucking his heart out and I was getting jerked around and kind of had to make a couple recoveries and he had me kicking loose and the whistle went and man I I wouldn't have been able to ride him another second. Now Catch My Drift will spend his retirement relaxing in McGrath. Pretty sad to see that bull go but pretty happy I got to be a part of his career and he made me a lot of money and probably cost me a little bit too. Eric Bay, Global News. <laughs> it just looks like painful. <laughs> Like it, it looks scary. Yeah. Imagine that. if that thing stepped on you. Wow. No, I really can't. And the other thing, I remember going to the Calgary Stampede once. The rodeo clowns. Oh, like yeah. Those guys have huge guts. There's nothing funny. Are brave. No, there's, no, there's nothing funny about their job. No. Uh, final word on the weather, Christy. Nothing funny about our forecast, unfortunately. After today, it's going to be a tough one. Tomorrow, periods of rain. We'll see windy conditions by the water and a high of only 9 degrees. Thankfully, it's just one day, everyone. All right, that's it for us. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good night, all.